Welcome to the Elevation Podcast. This podcast seeks to explore everything from mental, physical, and spiritual well-being. We aim to help you increase your performance, recovery, and optimization with your mind and body. Get ready to get elevated. podcast with me today is simon gooding otherwise known as 730 fitness on instagram uh simon's a worldwide online coach from wales uk uh simon's also a certified nutritionist and a men's physique champion simon welcome to the show thank you it's actually 7030 fitness what did i say 730 7030 fitness my mistake um so just as a disclaimer before we get into this Neither of us are medical health professionals, so none of this should be taken as uh, medical advice. You should always talk to your doctor um, and before you try any of this stuff. So yeah, that's just me covering our asses here. (laughs) And now we can uh, sort of get into it. So you've you've been leaning down lately, right? Yeah, literally for the last four days. Oh, so you're just getting into it. Just, just getting into it, but I've, I've dropped quite a lot of body weight already, so nice. I might call it there, to be honest. <laughs> Finish <laughs> off the week and see where it goes. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I've been, uh, I'm also kind of leaning down now, somewhat randomly, because I was going to try to compete in that bench competition. Mm-hmm. I think I told you about that maybe last time we talked, but um, so I was cutting down for that just to make a weight class, but um, that's going to be canceled. So yeah, I, I was I was planning on doing shows this year. Yeah, um, multiple shows, but of course they've been cancelled. Yeah, which you know, sensible thing to do as well, obviously. Definitely, yeah. So I'm just kind of I think I'm just gonna roll with it. Yeah, just go for it. Like I I decided to do a little mini cut just because something to do. Yeah, it's like you know, it's nice to have like a goal in mind to have something, some target, not just maintain or whatever. I like to have some sort of purpose. Yeah. And I find like, it's a lot more, it's a lot more tangible of results. Like you see the results much quicker than putting on muscle, like leaning down is a more rewarding in a sense Mm -hmm. process because you kind of have a constant like, Oh shit. Didn't see that vein the other day. Like you got more, more feedback on what you're doing. Yeah, I was training the day I did push and I'm starting to get more veins going through my shoulders. So I'm like, shit's working. <laughs> yeah, I saw one peeking out. Yes, I wasn't even training like anything upper because I mm-hmm. sprained my wrist pretty bad um, hitting my heavy bag. But oh. uh, I had a little vein peeking out. 
<laughs> in the shoulder. I'm like, the okay. The dope vein is always the best. Yeah. It's like, I, I always have a thick bicep vein, but the, the delt vein's the one which kind of I like the most. Yeah. I'm, I think I'm probably the opposite with the, my, my bicep veins come out last. I get up here first. Mm. And then when I get really... I, I never get rid of my bicep vein. No matter how much weight I put on, it's always just there. He never has chill. Fortunate. Mm, fortunate. Um, speaking of fat loss, I think we can just... Like, what would you say uh, anyone trying to lean down, like, with your clients, what, do you usually, what approach do you usually take? for like well, a fat I mean, loss phase. If you if you had someone coming with to you, kind of average physique, they got some muscle mass, but they kind of mm-hmm. just want to get shredded for summer. What would you yeah. what would your approach be? It's obviously very person dependent. But majority of people will be very adherent to a diet in the initial weeks. So and you've got a lot of motivation in the first few weeks. So I tend to go quite aggressive at the beginning. And then as maybe some feedback comes back that maybe recovery is starting to take a look or training numbers are starting to maybe not progress as fast as we would, then I'd maybe even increase their calories a little bit and just make sure that they're still in a deficit by maybe making some changes to other variables. But usually the first three, four weeks, I tend to go quite aggressive. Yeah, just get it. Get what you can off and then make it yeah. more sustainable later Exactly. On. If it was like a competition prep and it was a long dieting phase, I wouldn't do that because then you start pulling and you start losing so much of your output just naturally because your calories are being pulled down quite low. Um, but if it's a very short time, why not? You know, you're not yeah. going to lose much muscle in that time anyway, uh, if any, if you're training correctly. Do you, um, like for someone or yourself included, is doing a competition where it's like a really long-term diet, do you implement diet breaks? Yeah, so my preferred way, it obviously depends on time. Like some people will come to you and be like, hey, I've got a show in 19 weeks and they send across their pictures and you're like, yeah, we're never going to have a diet break. We're never going to fit that in at this state. But you know there are other things you can do. You can be like more aggressive, then take like a, a week where we start pulling the calories up a bit, then be more aggressive again. So it's a bit similar like um, when people do like five two diets. So you have like a aggressive five days, Monday to Friday, and then Saturday, Sunday, you kind of pull your calories up a little bit just because it, the average, you could do it that way as well. But majority of people, I'm, give it at least, 20 25 weeks for a competition prep give yourself time then when you're in that position you can say right i've got enough time now i can bump up to maintenance maybe for a week um let my body kind of get used to uh having a little bit more food in it and doing more stuff like even like blinking talking moving fidgeting whatever those little outputs that you start to lose from being in the diet from a period of time if you put a week in there where you put your food back up, a lot more comfortable fat loss. Yeah, that's like um, trying. Your body's trying to maintain energy balance, so you're you're reducing your need 
as much as possible. Um, yeah. And anyone listening, NEAT is non-exercise activity, activity thermogenesis. So it's basically anything you do that isn't um, like planned physical activity or like trying to be physically active is neat. Mm -hmm. And like Simon was saying, that can be anything from like blinking, talking slow, your, your brain or your, your brain stem, I guess you're automatically restricting as much as possible because you've been in a deficit so long. So yeah, I think I agree the whatever type of diet break works is probably best for people. Like when I was in high school, I did what you were saying with kind of not even intentionally, but I would, you know, I'd go through the week and I'd be in a pretty intense deficit. And then on the weekend, I just, you know, kind of say fuck it. And like, I'd have a couple of beer and I'd smoke That's a little cheap. and I'd eat a bunch of food. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Naturally, it worked like it worked pretty well. Cause I, I think the biggest part was it was sustainable. I knew each week I had a weekend where I could just kind of do what I wanted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, there's nothing wrong with that approach. A lot of people do kind of, uh, with the like, if it fits your macros kind of group of people, they normally like, hey, you don't need cheap meals. You can work this into your diet or that. And that's great. That's a different approach again. But there's so many different approaches. Yeah. When people get like married to one sort of way of training or eating it kind of just narrows your kind of your your vision your opportunities to do things different ways yeah i like to say um there's not one best thing for everyone everyone has like their own optimal thing for them so like Mm -hmm. it could be the optimal thing for you in you know two years ago but if you go back to an approach it might not be the best one this time. You might need to try something new or do something differently. I like to call it a basket. Sounds a bit weird, but what a what? Basically, a basketality. Do you know what a basket is? Oh, a basket. Like a little. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you take things from different approaches and be like, yeah, okay, that seems like a good thing which would work for me. I'll try tracking my macros. Oh, I like having a cheat meal on the weekend. I'll pull my macros down during the week and then have a little bit, you know, so you use different yeah. approaches and you get the best of every single approach and then it fits you. I do that with yeah. my clients as well. I'm like, what kind of, a, what kind of diet do you think that you would fit most? And like some people will be like, I, I want to go really extreme during the week and then have the weekend where I can just eat whatever I want. Obviously that's not going to be a very good approach you're going to drain yourself. You're not going to have very much energy to train. Your training is going to go down. Your likelihood of muscle loss is going to go. So it's, it's not worth it, but you could probably pull down your calories a little bit and then have a cheap meal or a untracked meal where you're eating a burger and fries or something. Yeah. hundred percent. And even with like everything, but like with research and stuff or um, like a lot of theories, Mm-hmm. you don't just choose one theory to follow especially like psychology if you were to follow exactly. one theory with psychology you'd be so far off like you take all of them and you make sense you take exactly. social like social psychology theories um psychoevolutionary like evolutionary psychology you don't just taking one of them limits yourself so much and so i think that the same thing applies to any, anything take the best pieces of all of these tools and apply them mm. 
in the way that works for you. Yeah. It's the same training. So a lot of my, I have a couple of clients which like come to me and just like jacked. I want to get yoked. Like, okay, fine. Yeah. If that's your goal, we'll do that. But the best thing to do is probably mixing in a, some more kind of strength focused exercises and then some more kind of hypertrophic focused exercises and maybe even different days. So you have a strength day or hypertrophy day and using those things together rather than just saying, right, I, I just want to get as big as possible. I'm just going to focus on hypertrophy because it's going to come to a point where your strength kind of in a hypertrophy ref range. Yes, of course you're going to get stronger obviously, but there's going to be a faster way to get stronger by focusing a little bit more strength and then that'll complement your hypertrophy. Yeah. And to just touch on that in terms of like, uh, for people maybe thinking about what you're saying, they just want to get big. Um, mm -hmm. Just a framework for like hypertrophy versus strength. Like hypertrophy, you're, you're building the muscle. So to a certain extent, getting bigger will get you stronger because the cross-sectional area of the muscle is bigger. Therefore, it can mm -hmm. generate more force. But the other huge part of strength is central nervous system and motor unit recruitment. So you have nerves that innervate muscle fibers. So mm -hmm. the more of those you can fire off at the, the same time in sync, the stronger, stronger you'll be. So they can mm -hmm. both sort of build upon each other in the sense that if you do a strength phase and you get better uh, motor unit recruitment and you get more efficient at doing that, then you're mm -hmm. going to be pushing more weight, which means more volume, which will translate back to hypertrophy. So I think it's, it's super beneficial to be training both, especially if you, like for size, cause you want to get big yeah. for, for yeah. strength. You might, um, in my opinion, you might get a bit more return of just focusing on strength for, for your size, but for getting bigger, I mm -hmm. think getting stronger is super important. Cause you I would see also argue for strength that there's a lot of hypertrophy exercises, which would, or hypertrophy rep ranges and I, whatever, whatever you want to play exercise, it doesn't have exercises purely hypertrophy. It depends how you train it, yeah. but there's, there's certain things which will complement like your, your strength. So if you do, for example, some heavy dips or something like that, or some tricep pull downs, you start overloading your triceps and you start doing the higher rep ranges of triceps or um, biceps for whatever exercise that you're focusing on building strength, that will help to build up your ability to take more lactic acid in that muscle. You'll also be able to strengthen that muscle in a different way. And when you're trained purely for strength, if you didn't have those kind of other exercises say for example you're trying to get really strong on bench did bench every day you're going to get really strong at bench you're going to get really efficient at bench but if you start building up your triceps and, and that complements your bench that's just going to help to speed up the process of your strength gain yeah 100 percent. and yeah i was thinking more in my head i was thinking uh for someone who wants to so not absolute strength of like getting because if you get bigger obviously you're gonna it's gonna come with some strength and accessory stuff is super important but i meant for like someone in a weight class getting stronger for that weight class they can get probably really strong 
mm-hmm. without getting going outside that weight class. Whereas with bodybuilding, mm-hmm. the whole goal is to go up in muscle mass and weight. Because mm-hmm. you want to a certain get, extent. I mean, yeah. You if you were like on the border of your weight class, that's like a tricky place to be, especially if you're on the low end of the border. So you don't want to go into a class where it's like, um, yeah, you don't want to be small on a big, a big exactly. class. But, uh, speaking of muscle growth, mm-hmm. what, um, like in terms of protein intake and, you know, daily amounts and frequency of eating it, um, like what, what do you apply? Like, do you do, do you focus on nutrient timing? Do you, do you try to keep your frequency of protein intake like pretty frequent or do you not worry about it too much? I don't worry about it, but it's something we try to implement anyway. For example, I will probably eat like six or seven meals a day anyway. So for me, that's kind of just a natural habit. Um, and eating like every three or something like that doesn't really become an issue to me unless I'm like really pounding in the food and then actually generally when I'm really hard bulking I tend to like reduce down my meals but make them bigger because I just need some rest on my digestive system but when it comes to like protein uh, nutritional timing I do make the perioult pre intra and post workout area quite important so if, for example, um, my client said to me, uh, I can't eat first thing in the morning, um, I have to train fasted, I would say, okay, that's fine. We could push more carbohydrates back in the day before so that it still fills up your glycogen stores a little. And then maybe have an intra-work carbohydrate source, uh, depending on their calories. If they're on low calories, I'm not going to give them carbohydrates intra-workout because they need it during the day to satiate them. Uh, and then post-workout, I always put the rule for as low fat as you can go with high-carb, high-protein or moderate protein. I don't really tend to say suggest going over like 40 grams of protein per serving. Um, normally, I say just try and spread it out a little bit more. It's a good habit to get into, but it's not going to make or break your physique. It's like a difference. Yeah. And I would agree with most of that. Like, I think... It just looking at mechanisms, I think is pretty useful because I got, there was a, a period of time where I got really into just like the research, what research studies said about um, like sample sizes. So they took, you know, whatever, 50 participants and there was non-significant results with uh, post-workout shakes. Like they don't matter because you're actually uh, insulin sensitive or in an anabolic window for up to four hours. And then just all of those things, like with each little uh, variable, I'm like, oh, well, that's not important. That's not important. That's not important. But when you put all of those things together, that could make a, a big difference. And if you look at the mechanism, like I just finished my, my human physiology course mm-hmm. and um, exercise independent of insulin, uh, gets uh, glycogen and nutrients into the muscle. It, it, it moves the, the transporter for those things to the mm-hmm. surface of the cells without mm-hmm. insulin. 
So mm-hmm. you are very, you know, you're very sensitive to nutrients around your workouts. And maybe it's not like a crazy difference, but if you're natural, I think it's like you, you take everything you can get as long exactly. as it's, it's like, it'll make a tiny bit of difference, but why not take that bit of difference anyway? Yeah. Like if you have the ability to do it, maybe like my post-workout routine, I'll like come back from the gym, I'll have a shower, I'll chill out, I'll make my post-workout, I'll sit down and I'll eat it. My main focus really is not so much on nutrient. I am hungry once I finish training, but it's mainly to reduce stress, reduce the body's kind of heightened sympathetic response yeah i want to get into a parasympathetic system really yeah just to be able to kind of relax chill out and get that sort of cortisol up yeah and um in the internship i did this year with strength and conditioning Mm -hmm. the cool down like right after we were done training with the guys we got them to do breathing uh like a breathing technique called crocodile breathing which basically just they lay flat on their stomach big breaths in big breaths out and like it's only i forget exactly maybe 10 breaths it's not very many and it instantly brings their heart rate back down relaxes them and then for the guys who didn't do it very much um because they're a bunch of football players like they're not a lot of them aren't into like breathing techniques and stuff like that like they're into playing football and getting big and getting strong so a lot of them were like whoa like I feel so relaxed like that was awesome like kind of blew their mind a little bit but like the power of breathing is crazy and i think that's hey, breathing like really after. mad have you ever tried holotropic breathing no i haven't tried that but i've heard of it but i may i might have because i i do the wim hof breathing and i think it's very yeah, similar very similar yeah, yeah. that of like a buzz yeah, you get a little high from it. That's <laughs> natural. Like a natural high. Yeah. Mm. Wim Hof says, get high off your own supply. He's like, I don't need to smoke <laughs> weed. I just breathe. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair yeah. enough. But you do, do you, you get cold showers and things like that as well then? I do. I did. I don't so much right now because I do find like it does, it kind of gets you in a, a sympathetic state. Mm-hmm. So I like to kind of keep my nervousness because I'm already, I'm in that state a lot anyways. So if I can yeah. minimize it, then I will. But I definitely do it sometimes. Like I think it's really important to like, first of all, health benefits, you're increasing your immune functioning, you know, but aside from health benefits, you're increasing your, your ability to withstand difficult circumstances. Mm-hmm. So for the could... last 10 years, I've done it every single morning. Nice. But I do it slightly differently to a lot of people. So I'll have my hot shower first, yeah. clean myself, and cool. then I'll yeah. whack it right cold and then just embrace it. Yeah. That's what I would like. So good. When I would do it, I would do that. Because I'm yeah. not like, if I'm getting, especially if I'm getting up early, I'm not hopping in a freezing cold shower. So I would get in like a nice warm shower. I do all like my shampooing and stuff. And then once I was done, I'd crank it to cold, start my breathing and like just embrace it for a second and then get out. Oh, mate, you got to do it for like two minutes. Okay. I probably did like 30 seconds, but (laughs) I, I, 
I would work my way up. I, it depended on the day. I love it, man. I love it. Yeah. I did. I jumped in my, so my, my parents live on a lake and the it ice frozen just, lake. It just cleared up. So it was frozen. Um, but so it's almost just as cold. It's probably like a yeah, couple yeah. degrees. And um, I hopped in it the other day. Just went for mm-hmm. a quick swim. Quick little dip. Wakes you up. Definitely wakes you up. I bet. I bet it does. So do you notice, like, like what have you noticed from cold showers every day? I, mean, I think because I've done it for so long, I don't really know what it feels like not to do it anymore. Right. But it, it definitely, like, it definitely just wakes me up. And I feel like my immune system's better from it. But obviously, I've been doing this since I was, like, 16. So it's... I Originally, yeah. when I started doing it, I was like... I'm going to boost my testosterone. <laughs> but yeah, you live well, in You got you got your immune system functioning better, I would I would reckon. Yeah, I I definitely feel like I, I'm better and I my um I I put some of my my vasculature down to it as well from vasoconstriction and dilation. Yeah. The sauna is re- sauna's really good for that. Mm. I don't I have was- a sauna around here. Yeah, I want my old school at St. of X, um, my first university I went to, they had a sauna right in the locker room. So I saunaed last year, two years mm-hmm. ago, around that time. I saunaed every single day and after my workouts, but there was a month straight where I, I committed to cold showers, mm-hmm. meditating, exercising, and a sauna every single day just as a cha- just as like a challenge and i felt super good but one thing i noticed was my cardiovascular functioning was actually better from the sauna cuz mm. vasoconstriction vasodilation your your compliance of your blood vessels is a lot better but also your heart rate gets up in the sauna even though you're not doing a whole lot mm. and um i went for a run i i hadn't done any cardio at all i just well, a little bit, like I'd warm up on the bike, but I just went out after a workout and a sauna one day and I ran 15 K at 210 pounds. And I, I, I've been going for runs lately at like, I think I'm down to 200 now. And I did 4 K at the same pace and I'm like mm-hmm. winded and I, yeah, and I haven't yeah. sauna it in like a year. So I, I know it could help. There's something there, I think. Um, so what about supplements? What do you think? Like what I guess you say what say what you take for supplements. I'll say what I take and then maybe you can just explain like what you think's worth your money or not. Uh so standard creatine, protein, yeah, uh fish oils. I take a uh omega fish oils from Alaskan salmon because it's got a little bit less impurities in it than uh, regular cod liver oil and things like that. Um, don't know if it's going to make a big difference, but in my mind, it's it's better for you. Um, vitamin D and uh, D spray with K2 in it. Um, a multivitamin, um, ashwagandha. That's kind of like post-workout. 
Um, I'll take a pre-workout most of the time, unless I'm like on a deload week. Um, I've dabbled with the Ohimbine before. That was interesting, but oh, that's the fat burning one. Mm. I thought I'm, about I'm it. Not then, fan of it though. Did it get it your kinda, anxiety up at all? Like, did not you... really anxiety. It kind of just give me diarrhea. Oh, like, I would it? take it, and then like halfway through my like fasted cardio, I'd be like, "Yo, I need the toilet. I need the toilet right now." <laughs> so <clears throat> yeah, I stopped that's taking it because of that, but. I think most of the most of the stuff like that, you can probably just take caffeine and you'd be you'd be golden anyway. So yeah. it, it doesn't really make a huge amount of difference. I'm sure it does make a bit of a difference though. Yeah, yeah. So I take a lot of the same stuff. I take cre. I'm I just got back on creatine, so I loaded it. Mm-hmm. Now I'm just maintaining saturation, just five to ten grams a day. Um, yeah, I, I take protein powder but rate i've been experimenting lately because i'm somewhat sensitive to dairy i find i break out when i take it i get congested Mm. my stomach gets all all fucked up um so i i was on i was taking vegan stuff for a while but the the essential amino acids aren't as good so i bought uh leucine to add with it um and then more recently i got egg white protein oh yeah Yeah, from canadian protein but i didn't realize it was unflavored or it was um 2.2 pounds and i thought it said 2.2 kilograms (laughs) so i bought it and i spent like double the price of um the vegan bag yeah. Which is like 11 pounds. And I'm like, okay, even if I do have to take double the amount of vegan protein, it's still cheaper than buying this egg white protein that doesn't even have any flavoring in it. Or so, probably just buy egg whites. Uh, egg whites can't be that expensive. Uh, they're, they're definitely a bit <clears throat> more expensive. And also just for simplicity, like mm. I thought I didn't think it was that much money. So just when I make a shake, I can just whip it up real quick. Yeah. It's also in powdered form, so it's not going to go bad anytime soon. Yeah, yeah. Whereas egg whites, I'm very fortunate with my uh, egg whites. I, I've been sponsored for like I don't know the last three, four years by an egg white company, so they just send nice. me like a carton, the cartons. So they're pretty good to me. That's pretty pretty ideal setup. Mm. That's good protein right there. Every morning, every morning, I have egg whites and eggs as my protein source. Yeah. I've been on it. Well, I have, a for the most part, just throughout my life. But lately, more so just like kind of making sure I get eggs in the morning. Just because they're a great protein source, but also a bunch of like micronutrients, like vitamin D and omegas and stuff. I feel like my testosterone naturally is is better when I have eggs. Yeah. Well, they're just, they're packed with so much stuff and, and vitamin D is fat soluble. So it's in, yeah. it's just like, they got it all. They got it going for them. I'd say eggs would be an essential part. Well, maybe not essential, but I think if you can eat eggs, I would definitely, for everyone, I would recommend yeah. adding them to your diet. Even just they're, to- They're very easy, very convenient. Super quick. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was saying, so creatine, protein, obviously, omega-3s, 
vitamin D. Uh, I take zinc. So that's sort of like, that's like my morning. I have most of that stuff in the morning. Like vitamin D, I, I roll out of bed. I take my vitamin D because it's also a circadian cue. Like when your body gets vitamin D, it's indicating sunshine, yeah. which wakes you, kind of helps wake you up. Yeah. I don't know if there's yeah. any hard, hard literature to say exactly that, but mechanistically it makes sense. Um, and then in the evening time I take, uh, well for pre-workout, I just drink black coffee. I kind of have gotten off of pre-workout. Uh, but then in the evening time I take magnesium biglycinate and, um, L-theanine with GABA as sort of my unwind, reduced cortisol, help me sleep sort of stack. L-theanine is good. L-theanine is good. It helps you to yeah. kind of chill a little bit more. I tend to take all my supplements apart from um, ashwagandha and pre-workout and post and like the whey protein shake in the evening and my last meal just because for like antioxidants, having like a, a multivitamin or vitamin C or something like that, something being very high in antioxidants around your training window is not good. Yeah, you said it isn't good, right? No. Yeah, because it it leads to more recovery rather than adaptation, right? Like exactly, if you take yeah. vitamin C, See, you're, you're going to recover, but... Like mega dose with vitamin C and then you'd have like no DOMS, which is obviously sounds good, yeah. but actually there's no adaptation there. Yeah. Yeah, you want that inflammation. You want that that blood there. You want it... You want your body to be like, oh, oh shit, we need to get bigger and stronger to adapt to this training load. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, how, like in terms of frequency... What do you do? Like training I do frequency. at the moment. At the moment, I do legs push pull. Okay. Um, I tend to do um, probably three exercises for each muscle group. Um, with like on the on the second push day, I'll have three exercises for like shoulders, two exercises for chest, and then on my like. Leg day, I'll have one leg day which is more quad focus, one leg day more hamstring focus. Back uh, pull, I'll do one more vertical pull focus, one more horizontal pull focus. So, simple way of breaking up your training, but I quite like it. I do tend to go quite high volume though on a lot of like the accessory stuff and, and things like that. I do enjoy a bit more of high volume. Yeah, um, I'm pretty similar. I do, I'm back on push pull legs now. I was for a little while I was trying upper lower six days a week. Mm. But I just found my recovery wasn't wasn't very yeah. good. I was especially with school, like I didn't have the time to put a bunch of extra time in recovery. So yeah. I think for me the the balance of like recovery but also having like enough volume in one session for it to be enjoyable is push pull lags. I think that kind of Yeah, yeah, yeah. It it gives me enough that I feel like I'm getting a good workout in and I can focus on a set of muscle groups, but it's not, you know, so much that I'm there for like a few hours. Yeah. 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 I'm with you there. Same sort of approach as well. Although sometimes I do like, I have some clients, they enjoy taking more to that edge of failure and more to the kind of lower rep range stuff. Um, and for them, like a upper lower kind of 
upper lower rest, maybe upper lower rest kind of approach can work better. Um, just because again, very dependent on people, but some people's ability to recover from that sort of training is better than others. And you just have to look at your feedback, see how you feel, um, see how your kind of just general sleep is your mood, etc. You know? Yeah. It's so individual. Um, I think in terms of like, like volume, or the volume intensity trade off, like, what would you? I'll, okay, I'll just say my take, and then I want to see what you think. So, I think for a beginner, intensity is much more important. Like, they need to learn how to push that, and they need to they need to take it close to failure. Because I think like the research kind of shows you want to be within at least five reps to failure, but you probably want to be closer to two reps and then on some exercises go to failure, like maybe on your last set, go to failure. Uh, but I think for a beginner, it's really important to like find that and really push that and test it. But then I think as you get more advanced, you need to be much more methodical with your programming and that you need, mm-hmm. you need more volume to make the adaptation happen. So I think as you get more advanced, you want to, you know, control and dial that uh that intensity back a little bit and add volume to your sets and then maybe you know every once in a while you're taking everything to failure maybe before your deload or you could do wave loading where you kind of get close to that failure point and then you taper it back to more you know a few more reps in reserve and then you kind of go back uh would you agree in terms like for beginners higher intensity but you know as you get more advanced you have to your your volume naturally is gonna sort of go up if we're talking about like a a complete beginner like 16 or whatever age kind of lower just starting the um and they're they're new to a lot of movements going to failure straight away on those is probably going to be more dangerous than beneficial so for most people that have like just gotten into the gym, just gotten into training, I'll give them their program and I'll say, I want you to make this hard. I want you to make this hard and then just keep making it harder each week. So it gives them an idea of what sort of hard is. And then as they build it up over the weeks and I'm saying, right, I want you to take this up a little or they'll film their lifts. And I'll be like, you can definitely lift more than that go pick up some heavier weight pussy. Come on. And then there'll be other things, which is like on like an isolation movement. I'll be like, you can go all the way to failure. You can go, if it's a safe movement, all the way to failure. I want you to experience that, to know what that feels like. Cause as you said, most people, when they train in, it starts to burn a little bit. They're like, Oh yeah, I'm done. It's yeah. like, no, 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 no. You've built up a little bit of lactic acid it's going to be a little bit uncomfortable, but that's not failure. That's, that's not nowhere near failure. So as you said, yes, I would probably do that approach after they've had maybe like a mesocycle um, and then kind of take it into the more failure for the advanced trainees. I'm a little bit on the other side than you. So yes, definitely. I'd look at the volume and definitely look at increasing volume over a training uh, cycle. Um, but similar to what you said with like before deload, 
going closer to that proximity of failure. That's a similar approach to what I would do. But with the beginning of a training cycle, I would say, right, you you to beat single number each week. So whether that's in weight or in reps. So I want you to make an educated decision whilst you're warming up to your top set. Um, obviously, we can go into a tangent on warm-ups and top sets and down sets and stuff like that. But once you're warmed up to that set, you should be starting to get an idea of where your rep range is, your weight is going to be for the next couple of weeks. Because if you're working up to a deadlift and you're, you're working your way up to maybe 180 to 220 kilos, uh, if you've gotten to that number and you're a more advanced trainer, don't expect that to go up by 10 kilos next week. Don't expect it to go up by five kilos next week. It might be five kilos. It might be two and a half kilos. might be a rep. might be more controlled. So you're going to be somewhere fairly close to that intensity throughout the training block until that last kind of two, one or two weeks. But then again, it depends on the length of the training block. I've got some advanced trainees which are doing like eight-week training blocks. If I did an eight-week training block, I, would be, I, would, I wouldn't be able to recover from it. I, my my general kind of where I know that I feel that my deload is coming, it's like on that slash seventh week, I know right, I'm going to have to deload or take like a few days off. Right on. And I think most of that, like, I definitely agree with most of that. Um, in terms of like, I'd say, I guess intensity, like, as a general rule, you need your intensity to be there. Like you need to be pushing it each week and like aiming for progressive overload. Like you want to be adding a rep or like you said, maybe it might just be a pound or, you know, a kilogram, but aiming for increasing that without exceeding that with fatigue. Cause if exactly. you're, it's like if that you're balance between recoverable volume your intensity yeah. as well yeah because you got um minimum effective volume and you can work up to maximum re- recoverable volume but after maximum recoverable volume as in the name you're not for you for that person's body they're not going to recover from it so it's being somewhere in between there and what whether you take the approach of kind of going linear up to that or if you like to kind of you know fluctuate in between the two throughout a longer training block it again it depends on the person but majority of people which uh, are more advanced i tend to go like a a up down up down up down up but overall you see that kind of yeah it's kind of like it's kind of linear if you if you graph the the uh the line of best fit but throughout it's kind of going up and down got all the tips line of best fit as well i remember that (laughs) (laughs) yeah um oh here's a so you're a certified nutritionist yep what like because obviously there's like if you fit your we kind of you touched on this a little bit earlier there's if you fit your macros which will for the most part you know it's going to get your body composition goals you'll you'll gain or lose weight by following that but i think what's get what kind of gets lost a lot of the time for people who who hear calories and macros is it seems like that's all that matters 
but obviously nutrition is super important if not for gains at least for overall health so like what sort of do you implement for people to like sort of make sure their diet has good macros but it also has nutritional value again this is going to be individual to the person but majority of people when they first start with me i'll be like okay we're going to first figure out if there's anything in your diet currently which your body doesn't agree with. And that can be like a food intolerance, a severe food intolerance, anything on that spectrum, whether it's, it could be anything from like sacrificious vegetables like broccoli, kale, things like that, to like dairy like yourself um, or gluten. Or like there's loads of people that have mild intolerances. And I think it's, it's one of those things which people overlook a lot like they'll eat something, their digestion will be a little bit off and they'll be fine about it. They're like, they start burping loads, they're farting loads. And like your, your, your body's not supposed to respond to food in that way. It'll happen a little bit with, with digestion issues if you've got like irritable bowel. But if you're making it worse, you're just going to be uncomfortable all day. Your energy is going to be not very good. Your mood's not going to be very good. Your skin won't be good. Your overall mood will just be down because you're you feel uncomfortable in your stomach if you feel uncomfortable in your, you just don't feel very happy so i'll break things down with people i say look okay eat this eat this eat this ask your body like make notes on your um you know on your phone or your my fitness pal a few hours after you've eaten it if it is something which is causing you um some like uncomfortability then we'll work out what's kind of causing those intolerances or whatever then in, in terms of like health and um, micronutrients and things like that, I, obviously my, my page is called 7030 Fitness. So I try to include all kinds of food in that. I don't really like the restriction of uh, a lot of diets with like meal plans and things like that. I tend to say to people, look, you can, you can have 70% of your food coming from healthy sources and then the, the 30% you can have a little bit of fun with, but still be sensible with it. Don't go and have like a pizza. If you know a pizza is not going to mess well with you at the end of the day, you got to look after your body. If you're intolerant to something, your body's going to be inflamed. You're going to be in that kind of like attack mode. So it's, it's not a very good thing for your body to constantly eat things which are not agreeing with you. Fair enough. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, and so I think like it's a good rule to follow. You say you're 70, 30. I just, I usually say like the 80, 20 rule. Yeah. Most same, people say 80, thing. 20. Same thing. Yeah. Same thing. Um, but um, yeah. So the 80, 20 rule, I was going to say something else, but I forget what I was going to say. Um, was it about uh, intolerances, digestion? No. Okay. It'll come back to me, I think. Cool. Um, but well, let's touch on... To what? Ten minutes. I will have to make some food in five or ten minutes. Okay. Sounds good. Yeah, we're coming up on the hour here. Um, before we go, I think actually a really good thing to cover now, especially like where my podcast is overall well-being, uh, eating yep. disorders and body image stuff and sort mm -hmm. of... Like, do you, is that sort of a field you work with? Or yeah. So I've, I've had people 
with like anorexia, body dysmorphia. Uh, I think a lot of people have body dysmorphia. It's quite a common thing, but and anorexia is one of the extremes of that, which is heartbreaking to see because people that have that are kind of in a way very in in on their own with it because it's a very battle with your own your your own mind um and a lot of people that are going through anorexia don't really feel like talking about it because they think most people are going to be like judging them or thinking that they're going to be stupid and just just eat food why 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 wouldn't you eat food but it can it can stem from so many different things from like childhood traumas to um so, something that someone's told you someone said to you oh you're fat then somebody loses loads of weight and then they start getting compliments for losing weight they start getting that positive enforcement they keep on losing they don't know when to stop they're not getting any of those positive reinforcements anymore. so they're like oh i need to continue losing more weight and then they get to this very dangerous position in their body where your hormones are completely off your your body weight is just malnourished no vitamins minerals coming through to your body it's a very unhealthy being and recovering from that actually takes a lot longer physically your body creates a lot of uh, food intolerances from not having dairy from not having gluten like other things that we have regularly in our diet are there so that we don't get intolerant to them if you stop like drinking any dairy you will become intolerant to it same as with gluten if you stop having any gluten your body will eventually become intolerant to it so you have to work these things in a little bit you can definitely reverse that as well like it's a little bit of dairy here a little bit of dairy there a little bit of gluten work your way back up with it but i think the biggest um uh what's the word obstacle is the willingness to kind go ahead with the plan so if you are somebody that has anorexia eating disorder talk to somebody that you trust talk to somebody that you respect their opinion and it will it will still be a little bit difficult and and it will be um a challenge but having somebody that you trust and somebody that you respect their opinion will help you massively because they will be able to say to you right this is something that we need to address. We need to do sensible changes to your diet. Otherwise, there's only one direction that is going. Yeah, and a lot of what you you said about that uh, in my human growth and development class, we looked at eating disorders, especially how they can affect if it happens in adolescence, how that can affect adulthood. Um, but one of the main things uh, that it, we kind of talked about was they say like the g- genetics load the gun and the environment pulls the trigger. So there's a, a, a pretty big genetic component to it. But like you said, trauma is a really big um, sort of something that, that's going to pull the trigger. And then they find comfort, like you were saying, they get that reward. They find comfort through losing weight. And then those neural pathways kind of fire together. And so eventually it becomes a point where they're battling their mind. Like there's this, this hard, deep rooted part of them. That's forced, like not in a sense, kind of almost forcing them to do the behaviors they're doing. Um, and so people, there's a lot of stigma, like, Oh, why is, you know, just eat something or 
people say stuff like that, which obviously doesn't help the person because they're. Yeah. I don't think it makes it worse because then they feel like yeah. they should be, doing it, or that they're, they're making a bigger thing of it is than it is. Yeah, causes shame and a lot of stuff too because they're like, you know, it's not like they want to be like some of them. It, for some people, it comes to the point where you know their life is at risk, and like so obviously yeah. someone's mm-hmm. not intentionally wanting their life to be at risk. So I think for pe- anyone listening, if you do know a friend seems like maybe they're having something, reach out to them. Like just, just demonstrate that you're not going to be someone who's judgmental or at least maybe this conversation can inform you that the stigma around it is a big problem for them accessing help and resources. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot of, other reinforcements for it like social media and things there's they actually have like pro anorexia uh pages and things like that on instagram and social media just don't look at them don't don't go into those because yeah man they're actually horrible to look at it's it's heartbreaking like people do yeah but like at the end of the day it's it's something which is going to change so many things in your future which you may regret like if you can become infertile from it you can yeah. completely lose your hair you can you, there's so many things that are affected negatively from being in that position for a long period of time yeah and especially through adolescence like it's a time where your hormones are starting to yeah. be you know those organs well, are really when it most happens as well is what that's where when it's most common as well like yeah, through exactly, adolescence yeah a lot of mental health issues through adolescence and early, early adulthood. That's like the major window for a lot of that stuff to start happening. Um, sweet. I think, I mean, we covered a decent amount in terms of things. I have, uh, some rapid fire questions. Unfortunately, as much as a, a surprise as it got to be the first time, but, um, you know, it is what it is. For those of you that don't know, we did a podcast before, but then we had to scrap it. Yeah, so we had, we're doing we had some technical difficulties. Uh, I have found Zoom now, so I'm really hoping this one turns out a lot better. Um, I'm sure it will. Hit me. You ready? Your screen yeah. froze. I didn't know if you were. If you were oh, sorry. Um, all right. So, what is one book you would suggest everyone to read? The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck? That's a, yeah. That's a good um, What's one thing that you would tell people to do for lasting happiness? Or one thing that could help people improve their happiness? Don't chase things which aren't you. Like, be true to yourself. Good. That's good. Um, if you could be re- remembered for one thing a thousand years from now, what would it be? Helping people to live a healthier life. If you could live forever, would you? Why or why not? Hell yes, I would. 
I would go through different lives. So I'd live like a life as a postman. I'd live a life as a fireman. I was a fireman before. I'll live a life as a PT. I'll all this knowledge and I'll be, I'll, I'll just be like a genius. <laughs> I'll be so wise. I'll be like a monk. Uh, one daily habit you think everyone should start doing or a routine. Well, we've already talked about cold showers. You should definitely do cold showers, but uh, daily routine. Have a period of your day where you're not stressed. So like a, a relaxation time for you. Yeah. Well, meditation chill reading a book whatever it is for you just a period of your day every single day where you're focused on relaxation i think now is a good time for a lot of people to start doing that especially with the world where it is go for it yeah all right last one here uh what's one thing you wish you knew 10 years ago uh progressive overload i think i said that one last time didn't i yeah. yeah, I feel like there was a lot of years in my younger lifting career where progressive overload was completely overlooked and I could have made a lot of gains, but yeah. I didn't. Yeah, I feel you on that one. All um, right, well, thanks a lot for coming on the second time. My pleasure. This one should be the last one here. Um, oh, and tell people where they can find you. Uh, any just 7030 Fitness on Instagram. And Simon Gooding on YouTube, Simon Gooding on Facebook. All right. And I will link all of that stuff in the show notes so you guys can, you know, click the links and have access to that.